Hello and welcome back to Great Takes from the Great Lakes, episode 6. As always, Great Takes coming at you, courtesy of Alex Dimel, Luke Morey, and yours truly, Christian Pagdemit. We have got, as always again, a whole lot of news uh, starting over in the NFL with our next segment of our power rankings, starting with number 20 to 16 today. And other than that, we have got a whole lot of active news. College football, we may have just lost two Big 12 teams, which is absolutely wild to think about. I never really thought teams would be leaving conferences. The NBA, we have a new champion. We've got the draft this week, and already rumors are starting to fly about trades. In the NHL, we just finished up the draft. What's happening over there, Luke? Yeah, well, we saw uh, some U Michigan guys go a lot very early, very quickly. Um, they were the first uh, first college team in NHL history to have four out of the first five picks, the University of Michigan boys, which is insane. They've got a really good team. A lot of them are coming back next year. So if you're in Michigan, definitely go see a game because you're going to see a bunch of NHL talent. Other than that, we're going to go through some uh, Midwest teams. We'll go through some of the draft grades, some of the big trades that happened during the draft, like I said, and like a lot of people were predicting. It's been a crazy trade offseason already, and we're going to see even more trades, so we'll talk about some of those. And over in the Diamond, we are just a week or so into the second half of the season. How's it going there, Alex? Just after the All-Star break, we're already seeing trade just exploding. Uh, The trade deadline is coming up very fast, so we're going to get into some talk about what we've seen already and what we're planning to see with the trade deadline. And also get really deep into Tigers baseball. They were on a seven-game winning streak, the longest they've had since, I believe, 2013. They were red hot before this series with the Royals this past weekend. We'll get into how that went as well. It should be an exciting episode. All right, let's get into it. We are starting in the NFL, and as usual, we are one more week closer to the start of the season, and that means one set of five closer to the top set of power rankings, and we're going to start this week at number 20, and at 20, I have the Minnesota Vikings. This might just be a little bit of bias, that NFC North hate, but the draft, the Vikings did add pass protection for Cousins, and of course, Justin Jefferson's going to get a lot better. They also did make improvements to a D-line that wasn't a whole lot to speak of uh, much this past year. Uh, I talked last week about the Broncos being a team that could jump or drop significantly in the rankings based on Drew Locke's play. I think there are a lot of guys that could step up for the Vikings. Um, and, of course, a big part of that is if Aaron Rodgers leaves the NFC North, that leaves the division crown wide open and up for grabs. I think um, that can have a huge play on where the Vikings finish this season. Yeah, so I have the Denver Broncos at number 20. Um, I think the big X factor here will be Drew Locke. Whether he plays or not, whether the whether Aaron Rodgers does come to Denver, I know there's been a lot of uh, rustlings about that. 
But as of right now, this is Drew Locke's spot. So with Drew Locke there, I do think we're going to see a lot of improvement out of him. I think he's slowly maturing into what he could be a franchise quarterback if he's given the opportunity to play this season. Uh, he's got some good weapons around him, and I don't. I do know. Obviously, they still have Von Miller to captain that defense. I think that will be key as well to have some leadership on what is a very, very young team. So I don't know that they are all the way there yet. I don't know that this is the Peyton Manning Broncos, but I think they're started in the right direction. Luke, who do you have at number 20? Yeah, 20, I've got the uh, New England Patriots. I think this is a team that could fall pretty far or could rise, depending on some play of Mac Jones. Um, I think they they got the right pick. They got who they wanted <clears throat> picking up Mac Jones. But another thing to keep in mind is their defense isn't fantastic. Their big star, Stephon Gilmore, once out, at least right now, or he's, you know, he's some, there's been some contract disputes. So I feel they could fall as far as, you know, 25. But if Mac Jones hits and their defense is solid, I mean, we know Bill Belichick can always get a good defense building around and they'll pick up some guy off the, you know, the waiver wire that shows up and has 200 yards in one game. So they could rise pretty high, but I think 20 is a good place to have them for now. I'm going to start by saying I I do have the Pats much higher, but um, that is, is, I will say, operating on the uh, the idea that Gilmore will end up playing all or most of the season. But I got to say, I don't even have him this week. Uh, The Chargers up at 19, uh, use their offseason to kind of upgrade protection around Herbert, which I think is big. They took an O-lineman at 13. They also picked up some weapons for him in later rounds. Uh, there is quite a lot of talent on this team on both sides of the ball, uh, but they are in a very tough division. Of course, the Chiefs all but have the division crown already. Uh, but to be honest with you, a wild card berth is very much a possibility uh, for this team. While I do have them kind of teetering, as you can see at 19, kind of in the middle of the pack. It's a team of the future, and I think Chargers fans uh, should be excited. I think regardless of how they finish even this whole season. Yeah, and rolling it at number 19, I'm kind of shocked to hear, Christian, that you had the Pats not even in your rankings this week because I have the Pats at number 19. I do think if Belichick was struggled to adjust around Cam Newton. I think he's definitely going to struggle to have to adjust to a whole new quarterback, especially since Mac Jones is a rookie. I do think we do see a lot of that Tom Brady athletic type in Mac Jones, but Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady his first season. And so even if he gets to that level, which I think is doubtful, I don't know that anybody's going to ever get to Tom Brady level. I think it's going to take time for that to happen. So I think the Pats are still in a development stage where they're attempting to rebuild around essentially nobody, which is tough, but I think they'll get there eventually. I think Belichick is still coaching there for a reason because he wants to win. I think he wants to prove to the world that he can win a ring without Brady, but I think that's going to take time, and I don't think that's going to happen this season. So that's why I have them at 19. Luke, I hope you have the Pats at some point in this week's rankings with me, please. Well, the Pats are uh, 20 for me. So 19, I've got the uh, Chicago Bears. I think they're a team, like a lot of what Christian was saying with the uh, Chargers, it's a team of the future. Um, I've got the Chargers higher up, so we won't see them this week. But I think the Bears are going to be a similar team. Justin Fields was a really good pickup. Um, They're obviously in a tough division, but, you know, some things could change. It'll depend on how they play. But I think they're a good team. They're starting to get built up for the future. 
But I think this is right about right for them to, you know, be stuck in the middle. They're decent on defense with Khalil Mack. Their offense could get better, but I think they're going to be about a year away from getting a high-end offense, you know, a top-10 offense. And then that's when they really start playing well. I think you were the only one that didn't have the Bears last week, but um, I'm about to have that with the Pats. I don't want to get goaded into talking about them uh, too much this week. Uh, but at 18, I have the Giants. Uh, and this is kind of a trend for me, or at least the teams I pick uh, this week. It's kind of a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones. He will have, uh, as we've talked about a little bit before, a plethora of weapons to kind of help prove his worth this year. Adding Kadarius Jones in the draft and, of course, uh, Kenny Galladay in free agency, along with hopefully a healthy Saquon Barkley, the Giants offense. Uh, I think poised kind of behind Jones. And, you know, like I said, there's a couple teams that I've mentioned and even, you know, one or two that I'm going to mention after this. Uh, it really, their performance hinges pretty heavily on the play of their quarterback. And I think like a lot of uh, NFC East teams, the division title is more than a realistic goal uh, with consistent play from their quarterback. But if not, the, the bottom of the division is equally realistic. Yeah, and rolling into 18, I have the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I think the key here, actually, like the Denver Broncos, the key here is going to also be Aaron Rodgers. If he leaves the NFC North, I think this is the Vikings division for the taking. I think uh, this is Kirk Cousins' time to shine if that happens. Uh, We also saw Justin Jefferson uh, was all pro as a rookie. So they do have, they're starting to have another dynamic offense, obviously, I think I think it's safe to say Jefferson was brought in to kind of step up after they lost Stephon Diggs, um, and I think he's done a great job of doing that. I think the question, the big question mark for the Vikings is going to be their defense, um, and to really see if they can handle some of the either it's can they handle can they contain Justin Fields. I think it's safe to say they'll be able to unfortunately contain the Detroit Lions pretty well, but. I think the defense is going to be the big question mark along with Aaron Rodgers. And if both of those things can work out, I think this is the this is the Vikings' chance to take the NFC North. Yeah, at 18, I've got the uh, Washington football team. I think there are a lot of teams in this range. We're going to see a lot of the same thing where they're one position away. A lot of them is quarterback. Um, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is a right pickup for them, even if he's not a long-term solution. I think he's going to be really good with Terry McLaurin. They picked up Curtis Samuel. Um, they had a good draft. They pick up uh, Samuel Cosme, an offensive tackle in the second round, who I really liked. Um, they got Diami Brown as well, who's a 4-4 speed uh, receiver. It's a good complement with McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. And obviously the defense was really good. Last year we saw that with Chase Young. He's a stud already. He's only going to get better. And I think they're going to be better than they were last year. Obviously they won the division at 7-9 and nine last year. But I think they're going to continue to grow. And then the big step for them is just finding their quarterback of the future. And up at 17, I do have the Dallas Cowboys. And again, I hate uh, that I keep putting qualifiers kind of on my picks. Uh, But it looks like America's team will have uh, a healthy Dak to work with. And it will fuel a pretty talented offense, if not one of the most talented offenses in the league. Uh, But this is, you know, a pick that could really jump or drop based on their defense, which was historic historically bad last year one of the worst defenses 
in recent memory in the NFL. And despite the first six picks in the draft being on the defensive side of the ball, I don't think that immediately has impact and makes them competent enough to kind of keep them in games. Uh, that being said, I've talked about um, how wide open the NFC East is. And, of course, a division title is very realistic, uh, but it will hinge on that defense and, of course, on uh, the play of a healthy deck. Yeah, and at 17, I have the LA Chargers. Um, I think this is going to be a big another. It's going to be another question mark of a year in general because they do have a lot of talent on their roster. But at this point, it's about bringing that talent together and working as a team. Uh, some of those big names, obviously, they will have Justin Herbert leading uh, their offensive charge, backed by Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams. Um, they do have a solid offensive line. I think it's one of those things that people aren't talking about as much as they do have. Justin Herbert does have good protection in front of him, which will be key. Um, and defensively, they still have Joey Bosa. They have Chris Harris uh, to lock down things to the defensive side. So I think this is going to be a good year for the Chargers. Although um, I think with the issue with rookie quarterbacks that I have is it's still going to take time for them to completely adjust. Um, no matter how many good weapons you put around them. So I don't think this is going to be a huge year for the Chargers, but I think we're get, they're headed in the right direction for sure. Yeah, at 17, I've got the Minnesota Vikings. You guys have already talked a lot about it. Justin Jefferson's a stud. He's going to get better. But the biggest problem is uh, how Kirk Cousins plays. They had a decent draft. They picked up Kellen Mond in the third round. I don't think we'll see him play unless Kirk Cousins gets injured or he just really doesn't play well. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing for them. They've got a good team. They've got Dalvin Cook still. They've got a decent off uh, defense, not a great defense. They need to build that more. But their biggest thing is just finding a good quarterback that can you know grow for the next 10 years with Justin Jefferson. Up at 16 and rounding out uh, this week's NFL power rankings, I have the Washington football team. Uh, I've talked a lot about how wide open the NFC East is, and of course most football fans know that to be true, uh, but they do have the football team taking this one home. Uh, I think they have, you know, obviously the strength of this team is its defense, uh, strengthened even more so by picking up uh, Jamin Davis at linebacker in the first round. Could very well be a top five defense in the league this year. And, of course, Fitzmagic, uh, kind of the old head reading a, leading a relatively young offense. Luke has talked uh, a decent amount about this team already, so I'm not going to go on for too long. But I think it is kind of the perfect situation for Fitz. You're talking about a guy who is perhaps the, uh, you know, the youngest he can be at his age, if that makes sense. He really has not played a full season for a very long time. And I think this is a situation where he very well could. He's poised to be their starter. And Ron Rivera, I think, trusts him to be the starter all year long. And I think he's going to lead him to a division crown. And rolling in at 16, I actually have the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I have them high up on my list because I think – this is they're going to be. This is going to be the year where they're going to be. They have the chance to step up in the AFC East. A lot, obviously, we've seen the Patriots dominate for a long time, and since Brady left, I think the big talking AFC East has been the Bills. But I think the Dolphins are going to be the Bills' biggest challenger. Uh, I think Tua is 
still a very good quarterback who's, again, going to have great weapons around him. They picked up Jalen Waddell in the draft. They'll have Will Fuller as well. Uh, I think uh, I think their big question mark is going to be on the defensive side of the ball, whether they can get it done. I think if they can get it done on that side of the ball, I think they have a good chance of taking the AFC East from the Bills, uh, who have been obviously the dynamic team in that uh division in the past year and i think they'll continue to do so but the dolphins do have a chance so you can't count them out yeah in 16 i've got a different uh, nfc east uh, division winner i've got the cowboys i think this is a team where the biggest thing you know we've talked about so far is not having a quarterback and the cowboys have a quarterback we don't know you know is, is he going to be a top 10 quarterback we don't know that but he's at least good enough he's shown the ability to win um, having them back will be helpful, but obviously, like Christian was saying, their defense was historically bad last year. They almost allowed 30 points per game last season, which no matter how good of a quarterback you have, it's really hard to score 35 a game. Um, drafting Micah Parsons in the first round, I think, was the right pickup. Him and Leighton Van Der Esch are going to be flying around the field, but their biggest thing is figuring out how their uh, you know secondary can play and perform behind them because their linebacking core is going to be really good but they got to solve the secondary and the defensive line before they really get good all right and we are rolling right into the nba which just finished up its season and gotta say this was one of the most exciting finals i have watched live in a very long time and uh I mean, the Bucks were the third straight team, or now become the third straight team in NBA history to rattle off four straight wins for going down 0-2. And Giannis is the man. He put the entire team, especially in that game six in Milwaukee, on his back and fulfilled his promise uh, to Milwaukee. Just, just his stat line, just real quick. In that game six closeout, he had... 50, 14 boards, and two assists, not to mention five blocks. 17 and 19 from the free throw line. He was dominant on both sides of the ball. It didn't seem like there was a fast break break layup that went by without either getting goaltended or blocked by Giannis. It was absolutely insane, and I know uh, Alex isn't too happy about this result. Yeah, you, it's uh, safe to say that one. Um, I think it's. I, I think I might have cursed the Suns, man. I don't know what else to say. I think I might have cursed the Suns, but everything you just said was right on point. I think this was Giannis's. Uh, now that I look at it, uh, I'm a little bit less unbiased. This was Giannis's series for the taking. Like you said, he was dominant. He had a, the right group around him to lead. Um, and it really did, it really, they, watching the game, you could really see how the team chemistry from the Bucks start to really take charge. And the big thing we had talked about, uh, all playoffs with the Suns was how fluid they were, how fluid their passing was, how well they worked together as a unit. And I think the bugs were, the Bucks were just able to overcome them and clearly take it away. Um, I'm going to announce my formal retirement part two until I find something else to predict, which is probably going to end up being before this podcast is even over. So we'll call it for now. Um, I'm retiring. I'm done. No more cursing teams. No more losing predictions. Um, 
Yep, I'm out. Well, I mean, like you're saying, Giannis was absolutely insane. Over the six games he played, he played almost 40 minutes a game, uh, 35 points per game, 13 rebounds, five assists, 1.2 steals, 1.8 blocks, shooting 62% from the field. And he was just insane. He was a plus 30 over the entire six games. He just lit up the Suns. They didn't have anybody to defend him. We saw, we didn't, uh, I don't know, you know, people were, weren't sure how big the loss of Darius Sarge was going to be. But we saw how big it was not to have, you know, an actual big running the floor uh, coming behind DeAndre Ayton because they couldn't stop Giannis from just attacking the basket any chance he wanted. He was able to get to the paint at will, and their defense was incredible. Drew Holiday was absolutely stunning the entire playoffs, but especially in the finals. He locked people down defensively, even when he wasn't shooting well. Offensively, he was getting stuff done on the defensive end. Obviously, he had that big strip on Devin Booker in Game 5. But he did picking people up full court. And his, his motor is incredible. I mean, he, got to the, he had a 15-hour flight, got to the Olympics, and led the team in minutes and points per game on the Olympic team, as well as picking people up from the, you know full court. That man just – he loves playing defense. He makes defense fun to watch again. And, I mean, credit to the Bucks. They played a fantastic. They definitely deserve this win. And I do want to say, while we're still on the Giannis train, uh, we all saw he scored 50 points in that final game of the series. Uh, only six other players have done that in NBA history. Uh, those players being Bob Pettit, Elgin Baylor, Rick Barry, Jerry West, Michael Jordan, and LeBron James. So Giannis just put himself on a very exclusive list. Um, and really showed how dominant he could be. And people still forget that he's still fairly young as opposed to players like LeBron, players like MJ was when he retired. Um, he's only 26 years old and perhaps, perhaps had the most dominant performance since the 3-1 uh, Cavs uh, turnaround. So, again, credit to Giannis and credit to the city of Milwaukee. The last time Milwaukee had a championship in general, people remember they only have two uh, major league sports teams. They have the Milwaukee Brewers in baseball and the Milwaukee uh, Bucks now in the NBA. The last time they had a finals victory was with the Bucks in 1971. So a long time coming for Milwaukee. Uh, I'm sure the city is very, very excited right now, and it is probably a great time to be a Milwaukee sports fan. Unfortunately, none of us are from Milwaukee, so we can't really say that applies to us, but no more cursing teams for me is all I'm going to say. Man, I hope not. I don't want you. You keep trying to curse the Pistons with this number one pick, not taking Cade. It keeps making me nervous. Um, but just a little bit of other news uh, out of the NBA real quick. Bradley Beal maybe wants out, kind of. There was a report uh, that he could possibly want out of Washington, and he evidently does know that he, quote, has to make that decision before the NBA draft. And I think if Beal goes, I don't think a, walk, a, um, a Westbrook trade would be too far behind that, depending on what they get for Beal. So this is obviously a league-shifting trade if it goes down, uh, but I don't think we're going to dwell too long on it until it... All right, where did it, like, pick up that 
right after you talked about i think we'll talk, like kind of saying like i'll talk we'll talk about it later or something oh perfect okay i don't remember so do we want to do a little mock draft or no i mean i'm down i've been listening like to that. you want to do like a- so christian who's going first overall man Tugs. <laughs> is that Scotty Barnes at number one? No, it's do Corey Kispert. Kispert's you, going number one. Do you think there's a legitimate chance <laughs> that someone's we, uh, drafting Drew Timmy? Do you think there's a legitimate chance that they trade the pick? Like unbiased, no. I know you want Cade. Do you think there's any chance that they try to trade it? It's, so it's there is a re- there is a report that Houston is having a sit down meeting before the draft with the Pistons. And before we leave the NBA, I gotta do a quick draft update, real quick. Uh, Kate is still going number one, which thank the Lord. Don't do what and I do, Christian. <laughs> Don't curse it. Don't this man, curse it. This man takes every opportunity he has to let me know that ooh, the Pistons might not take Kate. You know what do you do if they don't? Just freaking the crap out of me. Hey, what, um, what what were we talking about earlier, though, with the Rockets? I mean, they are evidently going to sit down with Detroit and basically, uh, you know, make a gigantic offer. Uh, evidently, they want this first pick bad, i.e. they want Cade bad. And the, the reports, uh, at least from, I believe it was Shams, I could be wrong, said that there is no real expectation that they can even make Detroit blink, which is perfect because I think you can't have this opportunity. You can't really pass on a, um, a gen- what is a generational talent like this, not saying that he's a LeBron or, you know, obviously Luca went third, but he's not that kind of, um, you know, oh, he's expected to be the Zion of the draft, but he's he's clearly, I think, head and shoulders the best player in this draft, and kind of perfect for their rebuild. So I don't I don't think you trade. And I mean, you know, I said it before we started recording, but unless you're like, oh, here's all of our first round picks and Kevin Porter Jr., I don't I don't think you make, you know, any realistic trade that you're gonna get. Uh, the only other real news. Um, I'm sure Luke will be interested in this. Uh, I said a couple weeks ago, uh, James Buchnight, I was talking about from UConn, real solid, got up on the draft boards um, all the way up to six. I talked about uh, his shooting uh, performance and um, at the combine, rather, and he it just looks electric. And I guess all the teams are believing in him because there are multiple mock drafts with him now going not only in the top 10, but in the top six, uh, which I think is just crazy. I do feel a little bad for the Pacers because I think he would have been, you know, a diamond among the rough, so to speak. Absolutely, yeah. I would have liked Book Knight. Um, some other people I've seen kind of go to the Pacers, and I'm sure we'll talk about them more uh, during the Midwest Minute. But um, I've seen, you know, we wouldn't complain about Davion Mitchell either. Good 3 and D guy. I think he'd fit well with Brogdon. Having Malcolm Brogdon helps a lot because he's 6'5". He's a bigger, you know, point guard. He could play the shooting guard if he needed to. He can defend the biggest, you know, the most uh, powerful uh, opponent, at least in the backcourt. And I think that helps a lot. But I think as a Pacers fan, I hope we move on from one of Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis. I think they're both good, but they just can't play together. And hopefully we do that before the draft, maybe get another draft pick early on. 
you know, get 13 and 14 or 13 and 16 or something, get to, you know, mid lottery or right outside the lottery picks and hopefully build around. And then when TJ Warren comes back, we could be really solid. I got to say, I'm not a a Pacers fan, so to speak, uh, but I do do feel like if you're going to move on from one of those four, then I think you do have to. I think Luke is right. I feel like Miles Turner is the one to go. He just is rebounding, especially defensively, has been uh, top to say the least, especially as a center. Um, obviously, Sabonis is, uh, you know, not a huge presence down low. He's almost plays more of the four, though I do kind of like him at the five. Um, so you do need a more physical guy down low, and I think Turner just doesn't offer that. Um, but he is obviously he's a great three and D big stretching the floor as a big is everything you want now, uh, a days in the league. So I think you can definitely get some talent out of him, but I mean, speaking of moving on over to college football, we have both Oklahoma and Texas moving on from the big 12, which is absolutely wild. This was, you know, earth shattering news to me. I, Again, this is more of a personal thing for me, but when I think Texas football, I think the Big 12. When I think the Big 12, I think Texas football. So this is definitely going to take some getting used to, but I do agree with what a lot of uh, national college football quote-unquote experts are saying that this is the start of the what we call super conferences where I think in a couple of years we're going to see less and less actual like we're going to see conferences dissolve and we're going to see what we call super conferences and I think it's safe to say those conferences will be the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. Um, there are also rumors of Kansas heading to the Big Ten to face uh, our you know our Michigan teams and all of our Midwest teams up there which would be an interesting thing. I can only imagine how scrappy a Michigan or Michigan State versus Kansas basketball game would be. Um, Not sure how that would fare with Kansas football, but so I guess that's only something time will tell. But I think, unfortunately, for Big 12 football fans, this is going to be the start of a lot of teams leaving that conference and moving on to other conferences, most of them being in the SEC or the Pac-12, besides uh, teams like Kansas or Iowa State, who happen to be in that upper Midwest area. I think both of those teams will head to the Big Ten soon. But this is just the beginning of the way that college football is trending towards, where we're going to see a playoff expansion. We're going to see these super conference uh, conferences. And I think it's just going to take time. I think a lot of fans around my age or a lot of fans older than me are still still getting used to the playoff structure in general and are still struggling to get past the BCS uh, way of doing things. And to that I say I understand, but it's just going to take some getting used to. And if this just means more college football, which I think in the end that's what exactly what it will mean, I'm all for it. Again, though, uh, it, it will be very tough seeing Texas in the SEC. I, I st- that still hasn't registered in my brain yet. But like I said, it's just going to take time. Uh, and that's what I was going to say is that 
thought about it and for a minute I was like, oh man, this was, you know, such a weird thing to do. You know, why would you leave, especially a big 12 that doesn't play a whole lot of defense? How does that not, you know, fit what your program's been, at least in football? Uh, but then you get to thinking and you're like, the only thing really keeping Oklahoma and Texas in the big 12 was just you know, the history, the fact that they that's where they were before, you know, nostalgia, so to speak. There's no real, like, facts or, like, oh, they have to be here. Like, this is the way college football split up. It keeps them in any one conference, not just in the Big 12, but any team in any conference. And they do kind of have that uh, United States-type setup where, you know, it's a sovereign conference, but then within each, you know, within the nation they have each state each team has its own thing and it is a little wild to uh to see kind of schools and conference or schools and programs operating with kind of the uh the free agency type mindset that you know players have been starting to do with uh the transfer portal i left that up with absolutely zero transition in mind i'm okay does anyone have a response that could like slide into the end of that or something? Um, yeah, I got a Speaking question. Speaking of the draft, yeah, I, I got a question for both of you, but I don't know if you guys are going to answer it. Are you guys ready? Uh, let's mute it. I, I do have like something I can like ask, but I don't know if like it'll make sense, but should we just roll with it? All right. Um, yeah, and speaking of the transfer portal, I did have a theory the other day. Actually, just a few minutes ago, we saw that Miami quarterback Tate Martell is transferring to UNLV. This is his second transfer already. Uh, the young quarterback started at Ohio State, transferred to Miami, and is now headed to Las Vegas. Do you guys think the transfer portal is slowly becoming, in a way, like free agency? I mean, that's what I was just hitting on. I think that's exactly what it is. Um, especially with the new NIL rules, it, it really trends with, uh, I guess, it's, it's a little bit overused of a phrase, but player empowerment, so to speak, and kind of giving them a little bit of individuality or functionality as uh, their own person, I think, irrespective of what the school does, they can then go, because it was only... I don't know, three, four, five years ago, that you couldn't really transfer um, and expect to play that same year. And it's all but a given now, uh, which I think is a little bit wild. Uh, think what you will about what it does for the sport. Um, but it's it's grown it, and it's given, um, given players, you know, an out, I think, when they – when they need one, obviously a lot of these guys are just so talented and you think, I think you just need a, um, the right situation or the right, the right opportunity. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of college guys and the right opportunity, um, we just saw the college level draft for the NHL. Um, we saw, uh, two Michigan teammates go one and two and the, which was the third set of teammates to be drafted one and two in league history, but also four out of the first five top picks for Michigan, uh, university of Michigan guys, which is the first time in league history that it's ever happened. Um, I'll quickly go through the top five. The number one, the Buffalo Sabres selected Owen Power, defenseman out of the University of Michigan. 
Number two, the Seattle Kraken selected Matthew Benes, center out of Michigan. Number three, Anaheim Ducks selected Mason McTavish, a center out of Peterborough. Number four, the New Jersey Devils picked up Luke Hughes out of the USA under-18 team, obviously joining his brother. Uh, number five, the Columbus Blue Jackets selected Kent Johnson, center out of Michigan. And it was just a crazy draft. Obviously, the Seattle Kraken getting the expansion draft earlier this week and then getting pick number two. Um, it was a lot of fun. It's always special to see the players get so excited for being drafted. Owen Power, his whole family was around him when he was getting selected number one. It was just a special moment. Um, but also, a lot of those Michigan guys are coming back to college for next year. And so if you get a chance to go see a University of Michigan hockey game, you better do it because their team is absolutely stacked. Um, one of the best teams I think we'll see in college uh, college uh, hockey history. Just so much talent up and down the line. It's hard to find minutes for all of these guys, which is just insane. But it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to not see a ton of players out of the top five play right away. Um, but this part, a lot of those people in the top five, you know, they're building for the future. They're okay waiting a year to get an even better guy because most people, after coming back to college, they'll get even better, get another year of just experience. And it could be great, especially Owen Power. I think that was a great pickup at number one. What do you think, Alex? I think it was a solid pickup. We have a solid defenseman in Owen Power. Um, I'm just reading now. He has not decided whether to return to Michigan or uh, make the full move to Buffalo. Um so definitely keep – that'll be something I'm sure will be updated on as the hockey seasons for both college and the NHL get closer. Um, I do want to mention, though, that the one player, I believe, who um, wasn't exactly at Michigan, Luke Hughes, was a Michigan commit. And the National Development Program is located in Michigan. So this was that it was a day for Michigan hockey, no doubt about it. Um, and watching Jack Hughes get that amped up about his brother uh, becoming a New Jersey Devil was awesome to see. Uh, it'll be great seeing them together. Uh, their brother, uh, their oldest brother Quinn, who plays for the Canucks, has got a. Uh, it'll be quite interesting if the Devils ever come to town, or they head out, or the Canucks ever head out to New Jersey. Uh, that'll be a fun time for the Hughes. Uh, Family, I'm sure. Uh, I believe Jack actually scored his first ever NHL goal against the Canucks in New Jersey in front of their entire family, which is, if we could get another moment like that, that would be awesome. Um, but no, and then we were Luke and I were talking about it earlier. Having your draft room in the Space Needle in Seattle, what a Power move by Ron Francis and the Kraken organization. I could not be more excited for Kraken hockey this year. Um, I think the expansion draft, we obviously saw a couple days before. Uh, they got some big names. They got Jordan Eberle, um, Yanni Gord, uh, in some solid goalies as well. Um, things are looking up already for the Kraken, and they haven't even played their first game. Absolutely. And you can just tell the excitement of just having another professional team in Seattle you know, they're desperate for a team. They obviously, you know, they want the Supersonics to come back. Hopefully, eventually that happens. Uh, but we're, it's nice to see the NHL just expanding more. The expansion drafts make it so much more fun for players. You know, fans get into it. They get more into the naming process, you know, some of the designs, the mascots. And 
Seattle's excited. It's going to be really fun to watch them play. I think they did a really good job in the expansion draft. They picked a lot of young guys, a lot of prospects. You know, they're keeping their money. They got 28 or 30 million in cap space for free agency if they want to sign anybody, which is definitely the right way to build. You don't want to, you know, sign those massive contracts. Obviously, we didn't see Vladimir Tarasenko or Carey Price get signed to them or them draft them. But I think that's a right call. You know, Ron Francis just really wants to save money and then hopefully, you know, go big on, you know, maybe they try to go for Jack Eichel. You know, they could do it. They've got the picks. They've got the prospects. They picked a lot of young, good prospects that maybe Buffalo's interested in. But they did a great job. I think they're really going to be a good team. They're not going to be great right away, but I think they're going to be exciting. And obviously, Matthew Beniers at number two was a really good pickup. He's going to be a really exciting guy. I think they what they're hoping for is him to be basically the Jonathan Taves um, he's got a similar Patrice Bergeron or Jonathan Taves kind of vibe to him. He's a good two-way dynamic offense and worth ethic, which is really good. You just want a guy that will put his heart on the line every time, go out there and hustle, be an example for all the younger guys that they bring in when he becomes more of a leader. But he's still 18. He's got a lot to learn, a lot to experience. But, you know, hopefully for the next 10, 12, 15 years, he's going to be a solid, you know, he's going to be a future captain, I think, for the Kraken. Yeah, and that's one thing to mention um we were able to see the the building of this team was so quick in the past couple of days that we were able to see a lot of veteran names and a lot of young names as well for this team, which I think will be key. I think the the end goal will be bringing it all together and having a solid team chemistry at the end of the day. I think probably the toughest thing I would it would seem about something like the expansion draft is you're bringing these guys from all of these different teams, and a lot of them have never played with each other before, and so. That'll be, I think, the big question mark is can they flow well as a team? Can they play as a unit? Uh, but I am excited for Seattle hockey. Um, and, again, like we talked about, it is it was quite a day for Michigan hockey having that many people taken that early, including Luke Hughes, which I know technically he doesn't count as a Michigan player, but he was a Michigan commit, played hockey in Michigan for the past couple of years with the development program. So what a day for Michigan hockey and what a day for the Kraken. Absolutely. And like you're talking about with the chemistry, uh, one good thing about what the Krakens did is they took uh, two brothers, uh, like we're seeing with the Hughes. They took brothers Hayden and Kale Fleury um, from the Ducks and the Canadians. Obviously, that's going to help a little bit with chemistry. They haven't played together since, you know, they were probably seven or so just because of how hockey is. But I think it's good to just get those young guys, the chemistry, hopefully build them and then, you know, hopefully in two or three years they'll be contending for a playoff spot. They could obviously make that jump that the Vegas Golden Knights did. I think they're not as well set up um, for that, but I think they're better set up for the future. Exactly. And, you know, like five, ten years, they're going to have a lot of cap space, a lot of opportunity to just trade whoever they want. Exactly. And on that note, we're going to roll right into Major League Baseball. Obviously, we have the trade deadline coming up, but we've already seen some big moves. Uh, one big move from the Tampa Bay Rays, they acquired Nelson Cruz, big bat out of uh, coming from Minnesota for a couple of pitching prospects who we are told are almost pro ready. So it seemed like a good deal all around. We saw Rich Hill is headed to the Mets. Um, and had his first start against the Blue Jays, I believe, yesterday. So uh, another big pickup for the Mets, who are currently first place in the NL East. And I think one thing that everybody's been looking for is a lot of moves out of Chicago with the Cubs. Um, a lot of trade talk involving Chris Bryant, some involving Javier Baez. 
uh, and even Jake Arrieta. Not much talking with Anthony Rizzo. I think they're planning on keeping him as long as they can. Um, but it'll be interesting to see in the next couple days how many moves we see out of them. Um, it doesn't sound like the Tigers are trying to move anybody anywhere. We'll get into that a little bit more in Michigan Madness. But um, it'll definitely be interesting to see what teams make a lot of transactions this, in this upcoming week. Um, and it, this is one of my favorite times of the year because it means we're rolling right into the second half of the season, which ends up going by so fast. And before we know it, the playoffs are going to be here. Um, we did get to see what everybody is calling a possible potential World Series matchup with the White Sox and the Brewers. Uh, Lance Lynn took the start in that game. Do we have any thoughts on that series, boys? I thought it was impressive. The Brewers really played well, especially the first two games. Um, they really took it to them. They didn't. They didn't allow a lot of points either way. There a lot of runs. Um, we obviously lost the last game, but I think it was an impressive series. It's always fun to watch those two high end teams go at it. Um, Tyrone Taylor got his first grand, career grand slam in the first game on Friday. Obviously followed up with a homer on Saturday. Um, it's just good to see people, you know, it's always fun. You always love watching home runs, anything like that. Whenever you're at a, whenever you go to a game, you're always hoping for a home run. Just it's, it's so exciting. And the Brewers really took it to them, especially the first two games. The first game they won, um, it was seven to one. Second game, it was six to one. Um, their pitching was fantastic. Freddie Peralta in the first game was incredible. Um, and then on Sunday they lost three to one, but still, I mean, you'll take the two and one series over the weekend. Yeah, exactly, and that was uh, definitely an entertaining series to watch as both teams are leading their divisions. Um, I think it's safe to say the White Sox haven't faced a team that dominant yet, given that their division hasn't been the best, hasn't contained the best teams in baseball, so that was a big test of their talent, and they were able to take one away, especially being in Milwaukee and not at home. Um Another interesting game this past weekend was actually also yesterday. Uh, Domingo German was had a no-hitter through seven innings, and the Red Sox still came back to win. 5-4 to four was the final. Um, the final run came on a sack fly that scored Kike Hernandez. Um, so unfortunate time for the Yankees to get so far and then fall short. But um, the Red Sox have been dominating in that series. I believe the Red Sox are 10-3 and this year against the Yankees. Um, and the Red Sox are still currently first in the AL East and are riding what they hope to be an AL East division title. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more moves, as I mentioned, uh, in this coming week. Obviously, like I said, the big name being the Cubs. I think we could see a couple of moves out of the Mets. I think they're going to try to bring in a couple of key guys to go on another run. They're currently first in their division as well. And I think they want to do whatever they can, bring in whoever they can that will help them get to that next level where they're in the World Series in the fall. So definitely look out for them. And another thing we have to mention is, for those of you who can't see and are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Music, I am currently wearing a shirt. That says the Indians blew a 3-1 lead, which is in a tribute to the World Series where the Cubs came back from being down 3-1 and won the World Series. And I don't know that I can wear this shirt anymore because the Cleveland Indians are no longer the Cleveland Indians. 
Uh, this past weekend, we saw that they officially changed their name to the Cleveland Guardians um, and came out with a logo. Uh, they had a sweet video where Tom Hanks did the introduction. Um, any thoughts on the name change, boys, and the logo? I gotta say, um, as you know, I'm not a huge baseball guy, but, you know, this, the Guardians name is getting crucified on social media. No one is a huge fan of it. Um, I think specifically the logo, which was, came in a bit, a bit of a surprise to me. I did, you know, I think the logo was a little interesting, but I, I kind of like, I think Guardians is a cool name and, I don't know. I don't really understand the hate it's getting. I think I need that explained to me a little bit. I think I think you kind of hit the uh, the hammer on the nail there. I think it might be less of the name and more of the logo. I think they tried to go for more of a retro look with the logo, and a lot of people are saying that it didn't fit. But if I'm an Indians fan, I sh- I would be all for this because they currently have the longest drought without a World Series title. So if anything, this could be what they need to turn it around. Um I don't know why too many people are complaining. It is just a name change. Um, obviously, we saw a lot of changes like this, again, with the Washington football team changing their name as well. Um, so I think that had to do a lot with it. But I I don't know if this is a good thing to say or a bad thing to say, but in my opinion, it's just a name. I know it probably means a lot more to Cleveland baseball fans, but... I didn't. I thought the logo was a bit interesting. It wasn't my favorite logo in baseball, but it seemed like what Major League Baseball and the Indians organization thought was the right thing to do. And if they think it's the right thing to do, they should go for it. Um, we'll see. We could. They're still the Indians as of now. They will be tech, called the Indians until the season is over, uh, I believe. And. Who knows? We very well could see another name change. They, if the if the outrage is that severe, they might have to change their name again. Who knows? But again, it's uh, no no true preference for me at this point. I'm kind of disappointed. I can't technically wear this shirt anymore because I think it's a fairly very cool shirt. But um, you know, hat tip to Cleveland. Hopefully, it turns things around and hopefully they end their drought pretty soon. And on that note, let's roll right into Midwest Minute. And I'm gonna insert. We are starting this week's. Oh, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna just write down the insert the clock thing. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, we're, wear one, we're an out. hour and five uncut. Jeez, no way. Yeah. All right. Well, there I mean, were. I feel like there were a couple freezes where, like, we stopped. Yeah. But still. <laughs> but we also awesome. talked for like ten minutes without even recording or while we were recording without even starting first. Yeah. So let's go with that. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Take it away. We are gonna start this week's Midwest Minute in the NBA, as you know, I've mentioned I think just a couple times. We are only a couple days away from the NBA draft. And me and five other Tunnel Vision employees over the last week or so have been working on a <clears throat> on a pre-draft kind of preview article, and we just did a deep dive into every team in the league. And I believe that's coming out. I'm not. I'm not exactly in the know 
Um, I don't think I'm that high up on the uh, the pay scale here, but it's either it's either later today or I believe tomorrow coming out uh, on the website, and definitely look out for that. It it really it goes into you know what picks each team has, their strengths, their weaknesses, and then based on their weaknesses, of course, you know who they need to draft, what players would be a best fit, and I think that worked just perfectly because guess who got the uh, the central division? Yours truly. So I've, uh, I'm just going to sum up, uh, you know, give you a little sneak peek here and uh, give you a sum up of each team. Uh, we're going to start in Chicago. And the issue for them, I think, is that they only have the 38th pick. Part of the Vucevic deal was they lost their first rounder. That being said, most of everybody, including just about every Bulls fan, really wants them to trade up. I think that's not what they need to do, but what they probably should do. Two-way wings uh, are, you know, a necessity for this team. And uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I think, would be a perfect forward for them from Villanova. The team really is in kind of a best available position where it seems like they're one piece away, but I think they're kind of missing a whole lot more than that they were you know, not too great defensively. I think that's a key, especially down low. I think part of that is just Vucevic, uh, who's probably going to be their center going forward, at least for a couple of years, is just not very good defensively. The Cavs, of course, we've talked about over and over again, so I'm just going to keep it light here. They only have the third pick in the first round, no other picks, and it's basically going to be either Mobley or Jalen Green Basically, whoever the Rockets don't pick, and it seems like more and more mock drafts and you know more and more intelligence are saying the uh, the Cavs are walking away with Mobley, which I think should be perfect for them. The Bucks surprisingly have the thirty first pick, uh, of course, the first pick in the second round. Um, they don't need a whole lot as far as biggest needs. Pretty short, uh, you know, short list and. Isaiah Todd would be perfect for them, you know, kind of a, any defensive ready big down low, especially because if even Chenzo comes back healthy next season, all they really need is a, uh, a backup big that can play real solid defense for them. And I think uh, Todd, who spent the last year in the G League, would be perfect for that. And then we're going to finish this off. We're going to talk about the Pistons uh, during Michigan Minute, or Michigan Madness, rather, but uh, we're just going to finish this with Luke's paces. I know he's got something to say here, but correct me if I'm wrong. You guys need rebounding, and you need it bad. Oh, yeah, we do. We just, I mean, like you already said earlier, uh, Miles Turner, as, even though he's 7 foot and great defensively, especially on the you know blocking shots, he led the league in blocks, and he's been you know top three for the past three or four years. He just can't rebound. I don't think he's averaged more than seven rebounds since he's been with the Pacers. Um, DeMontis' bonus obviously is a lot better. You know, last year he was, you know, a 20 and 10 guy consistently with about five assists, which is part of the reason I want to keep him. I think he's going to be a better guy that can facilitate. But Miles Turner just can't really uh, rebound, and we can't expect, you know, Malcolm Brogdon or Levert or Warren to come back and rebound all the time. We need a big that can get the rebound and then, you know, push it out. Because Levert loves moving in transition. I think that's really what we can attack more, especially with TJ Warren coming back. It's going to be a really big help to us and so we we need rebounding so who are we going to take christian well that's the thing i don't know if you're going to like this uh basically the the 
for those of you that don't know, the biggest issue outside of rebounding was defense. This team was electric offense, top 10 in the league, and then just horrific at defense, top or bottom five in the league. And basically they need anyone that can play defense. I know, I know Luke was complaining last night about basically anyone but a point guard. Um, he'd be happy with. And to be honest with you, I'd even be happy if they took a point guard. Um, not because I'm not a Pacers fan. I meant for the Pacers. Uh, I think Davion Mitchell, I've talked about it a whole lot, would be a very good pick. Jalen Johnson from Duke and, of course, Franz Wagner from Michigan are both also very good on both sides of the ball. I think Franz is a little more untested. He's probably going to go in the top ten but it does remain mostly defensive potential for him. He has the, you know, the speed, strength, athleticism, the build, the length to be a good defender, but he really hasn't shown it a whole lot at Michigan. Uh, so I think Jalen Johnson or more likely Davion Mitchell is someone they're definitely going to look for instead. Yeah, I wouldn't complain at all about Mitchell. I think obviously having Malcolm Brogdon helps a lot because you're able to move him to the, you know, the two guard or, I mean, even in a pinch, he could play the three in really small lineups. You know, I think Davion Mitchell's six one, but he's older. He's twenty two as a junior. I think that's going to be good, especially with Rick Carlisle. You know, saying we're going to be trying to contend, which I think we could. I, I don't think we're going to be a top, you know, four seed in the in the Eastern Division. I don't think that's going to happen. But I think we could be the four to six round. And I think the biggest thing is just getting those experienced guys, trying to build and trying to win around. You know, Brogdon, Levert, Warren, Sabonis, if Turner's still around, Turner. And then, you know, getting an older guy that's established, you know, less of that high ceiling guy, but more of a high floor, and then hopefully building for the future. Alex said he was retiring from from calling things, uh, but I think I'll fill that role at least for an episode. Um, I've never been a huge Pacers fan, but they've always kind of been like, if they're playing somebody else, I'll cheer for them. Well, I'll make a little uh, hot take on their behalf. If, if they stay healthy... Barring like a Darko level draft pick, I think I think a healthy Pacers team is top five in the East this year. It's I'm, I'm gonna just stick with that. I think I think um, you know they have a great starting lineup and the just the potential offensively to just run everyone out of the building. I think it's gonna be awesome. I think it's gonna be very exciting. And we have spent just a little bit more than a minute uh, on the NBA. I would not complain about that at all. I'd be very happy to see that. And, you know, hopefully we see that happen. But you never know what's going to happen, especially in the NBA these days. I think you should just cut out me cutting you off and then just, like, go right into the NHL, if that makes sense. All right, I got you. Here, wait, hold on. I got to write it down. I would not complain about a top five seed at all. And, you know, we're talking about drafts. We just had the NHL draft last week. I'm going to just run through the Midwest teams, who they picked, in no particular order, and then I'll just give a little draft grade. Obviously, I'll go into more detail with the Red Wings in uh, Michigan Madness. So I'll just say a little bit about who they picked, and then we'll go from there. But the first team I'm going to go through is the Minnesota Wild. They had two first-round picks at 20 and 26. They took Jesper Wallstead at 20 and Carson Lambos at 26. Wallstead was a really good value at 20. People were saying he could go in the top 10, top 12. 
Um, he's a really solid goaltender. I talked about him before. Really solid. He doesn't have a super high ceiling, but he's got a really high floor. And they've obviously got their goaltending of the future with Cam Talbot already. So Wallstead can learn under him, be a good backup option, and then either they can move on from Talbot or they have a really good dynamic duo. Lambos is a good two-way physical defender. He's going to go back to the WHL next year, but he could be a future first-line pairing. So I'm going to give that an A. I think that's a really good, especially Wallstead, I think was a really good pickup at number 20. And I think that's absolutely what they needed to do. The Red Wings had two picks. Uh, they turned it up at the first pick at number six. They picked Simon Edvinson, who's 18 years old. He's young, but he's really solid. He's going to take some time to mature, but I think he could be the number one man on the blue line. Um, at 15, they traded up to take Sebastian Costa, who was the other. There were two goaltenders who were going to go in the first round. One was Jesper Wallstead. The other was Costa. I really like Costa. He's got the highest potential. Wallstead has the highest floor, but I think Costa has the highest ceiling. He's more of the flashy save kind of guy. You're going to see him, you know, sprawl out to make those last-second saves to really keep the puck out of the goal. I think he's going to be really good, especially we'll talk about it more in uh, Michigan Madness with the Wings picking up Alex Ndelkovic. I think Costa is going to be in the farm system, which is going to be really good. So they have a backup option if Ndelkovic doesn't work out. Or they've got a dynamic duo. So I'm going to give them an A. The Blackhawks traded away their 12th pick. They got Seth Jones with it, the 26-year-old defenseman from the Columbus Blue Jackets. I think Seth Jones is going to be a really massive boost for their defense. He's going to take over for Duncan Keith, who was traded away. And then at pick number 32, the Blackhawks picked up Nolan Allen. We haven't seen a ton from him. He's only played 16 games, only at uh, two points. And then he had two points in seven games for Team Canada. But he's not bad at all. I'm going to give them a C plus, but I think they get a B if we're counting the Seth Jones trade. Then the team that uh, Seth Jones was traded from, the Blue Jackets, they had pick number five, and they picked up Kent Johnson. I think he's going to be one of the best players in the draft at the University of Michigan. He's got the skills. He's, he's just practiced so many times. He's always in control, and he makes something out of nothing. They also had uh, picked up Cole Sillinger at 12 and Corson uh, Colmans at 25. Sillinger was one of the top offensive prospects, and he and Johnson could be really good together. Colmans is a good defender, but it'll be a few years before they're all playing together. But that's really good for Columbus, who's trying to rebuild anyway. So I'm going to give them an A as well. And that's all for uh, NHL for now. All right, rolling into Major League Baseball, we're going to give you our Midwest standings update. Starting in the AL Central, as always, the Chicago White Sox are still leading that division. They're 5-5 five and five in the last 10 and just are now riding a one-game winning streak, taking that last game against the Milwaukee Brewers um, following them are the now, for now, Cleveland Indians, who are 49 and 48. They're nine games back in that division. They're four and six in the last 10. Um, following them are the Detroit Tigers, uh, seven and three in the last 10. Uh, unfortunately, were swept by the Kansas City Royals, so they're on a three game losing streak. Um, and then following them would be the following the Tigers would be the Kansas City Royals, um, who are six and four in the last ten and are riding a five game winning streak. And bottoming out the AL Central is the Minnesota Twins. Um, they're three and seven in their last ten on a two game losing streak. And again, I'm going to mention it as you guys know it's my favorite statistic: run differential. Uh, the White Sox currently are riding a plus one fifteen run differential, and the second place Indians having a uh, minus 31 run differential. So big key difference there between those two teams. And rolling right into the National League, Brewers are still riding high. Uh, they're 58 and 42. 5-5 uh, five and five in the last 10 just took a series against the White Sox but lost that last game. 
Uh, following them, we have the Cincinnati Reds, who are in second place. They're six and a half games back from the Brewers. Uh, they're four and six in the last ten, though. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals are even at fifty and fifty, uh, so they're eight games back, but on a six and four uh, in the uh, route in the last ten games. And bottoming out the NL Central are the Chicago Cubs and the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Cubs are nine games back from first place, but the Pirates are nineteen and a half games back, uh, and both teams are five and five in their last ten. And on that moment, let's or and on that note, let's roll right into Michigan Madness. Let me one nineteen. You guys want to start with the Michigan hockey bit? We've already talked about that twice, so I feel like we can just kind of leave that. So should Fair we enough. just can we can we talk Tigers even though they just lost to the Royals and get swept? We suck. <laughs> that was that was tough. Yeah, it was. Took, I already kind of talked know. about most of the stuff I want to talk about with the uh, wing, so I'll just talk about uh, the Nedeljkovic trade, and then we'll just leave it at that. Do you want to intro Fair Michigan enough. Madness, Christian? Yes, sir. All right. We are starting Michigan Madness, just like we started Midwest Minute. Over in the NBA this time, we've got the Pistons. Man, I am, I've said it maybe a million times. I am so excited to get paid. Um, Dude, put in here. enough. Stop. You're going to do what I do. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't curse this just team, man. Paid, man. Is it that hard for the Pistons to get one good draft pick in the last, like, 20 years? I am tired of taking Bamley Johnson over Luke Kennard. You Eric, know what? Uh, Luke it, Kennard over um, Davion Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> that was horrible. What? <laughs> to be fair, I get those two. Like, the, having those exact same names, that's tough. They, they're, number, they're both number 45, too. Yeah, it's tough. Just slowly and slowly, your head just went down, and then we just saw you collapse. <laughs> do we want to restart? Yeah, restart might be the best. Topic. All right, let's do it. Fuck me. Okay. We are starting Michigan Madness like we started Midwest Minute over in the NBA with the Pistons, and if I've said it once, I've said it. 800 million times on this podcast. Don't curse it. Don't curse it. Come on. Don't curse it. I'm serious, Is it that hard? Is it that hard for the Pistons to get one draft pick right? What if this is another Darko? What if this is another Darko? We drafted Luke Kennard instead of Donovan Mitchell. We drafted Stanley Johnson Instead of Devin Booker, we drafted Darko Milicic instead of any number of good players, including Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade. Is it that much to ask to draft Cade Cunningham over any single other player in this entire draft? I don't think so. I feel like we've been let down enough that, that the Pistons can give me this one thing. What if, well, Jay, what, if the, what if Jalen Suggs is the answer? Well, looking at the betting odds, a number one the answer somewhere else. 
at number one, the betting odds. Kate Cunningham going number one are, is negative 6,000. Next closest is negative 220. So what? people think Kate Cunningham. Negative 6,000. That's wild. Green going two is negative two twenty. So I think Kate Cunningham is as close to the lock number one as we're going to get. Thank God. I didn't even think it went to negative six thousand. What? Yeah, I'm negative. Safe to say, let's get us some Cade. Oh my gosh. Um, real quick, I got to touch on the fact that the Pistons are actually in a very good position in this draft overall. In the second round, we also have pick thirty-seven, forty-two. And 52, and we all know that um, Troy Weaver was very aggressive um, in last year's draft. Of course, we came in with the number seven pick, took Killian Hayes. But then, to be honest, to my surprise, um, you know, I was very happy about it, but certainly surprised by it. We traded up to take Isaiah Stewart, and then we traded up Stewart, and then we traded up again to grab Sadiq Bay. And I am... Very happy to announce that Troy Weaver said he would, quote, be similarly opportunistic in this year's draft. Um, To be honest, I don't think he's going to be quite as aggressive, but I really like the idea of pairing Saban Lee, or I really like Frank Jackson, but, you know, Frank Jackson or someone like that with a second rounder or two, or maybe just the three second rounders, and we could very well trade up into the first round again and take someone alongside the first pick in a draft that is pretty solid. It has a lot of, you know, good wings. And I think outside of taking Cade, I think that's obviously the plan. Uh, The Pistons do need some, some solid defensive bigs down low, someone that can play next to Isaiah Stewart, maybe a um, kind of a stretch four, which I think would be perfect. There's no shortage as we've talked about, of stretch threes, of stretch fours in this draft. So I think trading up, while not necessarily likely, is certainly very realistic, and I am all for it. Absolutely. Again, we already talked about the draft, but uh, the Wings just finished their draft. Um, Kind of talked about it already with the Midwest Minute, Um, but one thing I'm going to talk about is their trade. They traded uh, Jonathan Bernier, the 2021 third round pick, which was 94th overall for Alex Nedeljkovic. Nedeljkovic was a Calder Trophy finalist last year, which is for the top rookie. Um, he played fantastically. He hasn't played a ton yet. He only played, like, his biggest moments were this year. So there's still a little bit of uncertainty about how good he's going to be. But I think them trading up and getting Casa um, at number 15, who, by the way, is massive. He's six foot six, 212 pounds which is absolutely insane for a goaltender. If he goes down to his knees, he's still going to be around. You know, he's going to be covering the crossbar and everything. So having Casa in the farm te- farm system for a year or two while they're trying out Adelkovic, if Adelkovic doesn't work out, they've got Casa, who's one of the top two goaltenders from this draft. I think them picking up both was really smart. They've got, hopefully, their goaltending duo of the future. And I'm excited. I mean, Red Wings hockey is actually looking good now. Got to believe in Steve, man. Um, you saw what he did in Tampa. He's working hard. He's made a lot of moves with the Red Wings, and uh, I think it's safe to say that we're all pretty confident that he can make it work. Um, and speaking of confidence, the Detroit Tigers, probably the best showing of confidence we've ever seen. They wrote a seven-game winning streak, and they were red hot until this past weekend. Yes, they got swept by the Royals. I know. We'll get to that. But 
during that streak, Scope, Jonathan Scope, first and second baseman, had the longest active hitting streak in the in the uh, MLB, almost at the NBA, the MLB. And Robbie Grossman was riding, I think, a 20-game on-base streak, which, no, it's not hitting, but he was getting on base. And that's all you can really ask for. So, unfortunately, they took that right into being swept by the Royals in Kansas City. Um, But I think that was a little show of how well this club has played as a unit. Um I know a lot of people have said because it's not played the same way as something like football and it is very slow paced, a lot of people, uh, I guess people who aren't the biggest fans of baseball, like to say that it is not as much of a team sport as something like hockey or basketball or even football. But there's still a way in ba- there's still a big factor in baseball that people rally around each other, which I think is great. And I think the Tigers did exactly that. Um, we recently also did officially sign both Jackson Job and Ty Madden. Um, so both players will be joining our organization very quickly. And as much as the sweep hurt this weekend, I was very excited during that seven-game winning streak. Obviously, we faced uh, the not-as-good Texas Rangers, but we did um, also face... Uh, oh, my gosh. How am I missing this? I got to restart it again. I'm the worst. You're good. Where do I start again? I mean, you could start, talk about the like going into 500, the series. Yeah. Uh, so, and then this series, the seven-game winning streak started right after the All-Star break where they swept the Minnesota Twins and followed that with sweeping the Texas Rangers. Uh, one notable win was a 14 to nothing victory on what would have been July 19th, um, and also a 4-2 to victory on uh, July 21st before that uh, sweep against the Royals this past weekend. They will roll after that, hopefully can pick things up again when they are away at Minnesota, who just traded away Nelson Cruz, uh, and it looks like Byron Buxton also wants out as he just denied a contract extension yesterday. So hopefully things are looking up for that series. After that, they will face the Baltimore Orioles and the Boston Red Sox back-to-back to finish off July and open up August. I think it's safe to say we won't see too many deals out of the Detroit Tigers um, over the trade deadline. A.J. Hinch has said that it's going to cost a lot to get one of their players because they do like what they have. They're excited about it, and they think it's going to work. I don't know that we're going to see any sort of playoff uh, berth. Uh, we are not, I believe, nine games back from the wild card. Um, so I think this is a perfect time to just continue to develop as a team and work on bringing winning, you know, winning spirit back to Detroit. Baseball hasn't been this electric in Detroit since the Prince Fielder Miggy days, which it's awesome to see, even with Miguel Cabrera still being there, which. I believe he is five home runs away from 500. I be, I'm 99% sure he's at 495. So if he could hit 500 home runs by the end of the season, that would be awesome. He's currently at, I believe, seven on the season, so that gives him the rest of the half. If he could double that by the end of the season, um, he'd be at that 500 mark. So things are really looking up for the Tigers despite the uh, despite that series sweep against Kansas City, and I could not be more excited about it. 
I don't think it's possible to get, you know, too much more excited about Detroit sports in general. We just killed it in the draft for the wings. We're about to kill it for the draft in the NBA. The Tigers are on fire. And I don't know. I guess we have Coach Kneecaps over on the gridiron. We'll see what happens. Uh, we have a we have a we have a while till that season starts, so well I guess we'll we have do. to see what happens with the Lions. Over under four wins. I'm not saying it is. I'm not I can't I, I can't do it yet. I can't do it yet. I'm not out of retirement yet. I'm not out of retirement yet. You were close. Um I think we're right around four wins, but it's fine. We're a team of the future. Um as I think a lot of Detroit teams are. Uh but that is gonna do it for episode six of Great Takes from the Great Lakes, presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. You can find uh Tunnel Vision at Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at underscore TV Sports. And then on Facebook and LinkedIn at Just Tunnel Vision Sports. On the web, www.tvsportsmag.com. And, of course, you got to go follow the Instagram account, Great Takes from the Great Lakes. And uh, have a wonderful day. We'll see you guys next week.